Rob Spillman's road to becoming an editor was hardly a straight shot. The son of two classical musicians, he spent his first 11 years immersed in the world of the Berlin Opera. After his family moved to the United States, he ran track and worked in a used bookstore in college, and then went to grad school in Arizona, studying sports psychology and exercise physiology. After tiring of sports and dropping out of grad school, he moved to New York City with $150 and no connections. He worked in a postcard factory before landing an entry-level position doing publicity at Random House. But he didn't like feigning enthusiasm for things he felt lukewarm about, so he began writing book reviews. After working for a number of different magazines, including Vanity Fair and The New Yorker, he landed a job writing the book column for Details Magazine, a position he held for five years. In 1999, he launched the literary magazine Tin House with publisher Wynn McCormick, and it's been going strong ever since. Although he's had to take a few breaks to act as a roadie for his teenage daughter's feminist punk band, Care Bears on Fire. We'll talk to Rob about Tin House, what makes a great short story, and which coast he prefers, as Rob Spillman joins us on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Krista Bean, and today we're welcoming to the show editor, Rob Spillman. Thanks for joining us today, Rob. My pleasure. Now, you're the editor of Tin House, which is a literary magazine. Um, talk a little bit about Tin House for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with it. Okay. Um, Tin House is a quarterly magazine, half out of Portland, Oregon, half out of Brooklyn, New York. And we've been around for a little over 13 years now. And we publish mainly fiction some creative nonfiction, poetry, interviews, and um, uh, we also publish books. We do 10 to 12 books a year, and we run a literary festival in, um, in Portland, Oregon, uh, every July, and we've been doing that for, this will be our 10th year. That's great. Now, what is, what is the festival? The festival has uh, workshops and things like that? In yeah, it? it's, it's workshops and readings. And we use a lot of people from the magazine, sort of regulars and contributing editors. So people like Dorothy Allison has been every year, Amy Bender, um, Lori Moore, Michael Andache have been there. Um, you know, a lot of our, our, our favorite writers mm-hmm. um, come, come by. That's fantastic. Now, what sort of um, submissions does Tin House usually take? And what uh, if a writer has a short story, what is it about, what is it about uh, Tin House that would make them focus on you all for, for um, submission and publication? Well, we, like a lot of people now, use uh, Submittable, the digital online you know, submission process. So it's very transparent. You can see where you are in the process, when, where it's being read. Hmm. Um, I always advise people to really do their research, um, really look, you know, target Tin House specifically or wherever you're sending. Like really, even if you just look online, you can get a very quick idea of our sensibility um, from just going through our website. And our sensibility I would describe as voice-driven and not not neat and tidy. I would rather see kind of a uh, a formally inventive or messy story than something that's really neat and tiny with a tiny little epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, once you familiarize yourself with wherever you're submitting, then you know uh, you have a much better chance of of, being, of getting in and getting taken seriously. We get 
about 20,000 submissions a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them I can reject out of hand because they're not intended for us. They're just you know, people sending to you know, Dear Magazine, Dear mm-hmm. Generic Magazine, not, not to Tin House specifically. And I personally would rather be in a place that I, that I like the company of mm-hmm. and that's smaller and I'd rather be in a, a cool little zine that I really respect than in a bigger place that I am not particularly proud of. And I think uh, the the research is something that obviously a lot of people do do their research, but there's always people mm-hmm. that want to just skip over that part and think, oh, mm-hmm. my, you know, my writing is so good, it doesn't matter if it's not what right. you usually look for. It's so brilliant. They'll take it anyway, and that's right, not, right, right. not a good way to go about it. No, and then, you know, another common mistake is is sort of in that, that same thing in the heat of the moment, like you've written something really wonderful, you don't let it sit, and you don't really look it over carefully, mm-hmm. give it to your friends to look over really carefully, and make it as tight and clean as possible. There's, you know, there's frequently the, no matter how good a writer, that there's this you know, supposition that, oh, they'll clean it up, they'll see the genius in this piece, mm-hmm. but when you're getting 20,000 submissions a year, you know, it's hard to see through that. And also there's, if there are typos on the first page and some clunky lines right on the first page, it's hard not to think, well, if you don't care about your work, why should I care about your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've heard you say that um, good work rises. Um, mm-hmm. What What is it about a specific submission that would, to you, really make it stand out? You know, that's, that's really hard to, hard to pinpoint, but what I think it comes down to is um, authority. And I'm actually, next semester at Columbia, I'm giving a master's seminar on just that subject, just on establishing authority. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot about this. And by that, I mean that right from the start you feel confident with wherever the author is going to take you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care what genre it is, what form. This goes for poetry, nonfiction, fiction, you know, speculative, straightforward, realistic. It doesn't matter. You want to feel right from the start that the tone and the details and the language are confidently done and that you you feel, even if it's an unreliable narrator, that you're going to go on whatever journey this writer is going to take you. Mm-hmm. So, and and you can tell that right from the start. You you just know that. It's like when you pick up a good book, you're like, oh, I don't want to put this down. I just want to go with this wherever wherever it goes. And I guess with fiction, especially, you don't necessarily have to be an expert in a field. I mean, you could a story could mm. be written about a a dying parent, and if you you know, you don't know that the author ha- doesn't have a dying parent. If they can make you believe that, you know, that right. the emotions in the story right. are real, then... Yeah, um, I mean, I some of my favorite stories are ones that, you know, defy my expectations and that aren't really about anything so much. I mean, I, I published a story by Ben Marcus that if you reduced it to its kind of essence is an awkward office worker gets up at the same time as a coworker to go get a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and, and spends 40, 40 pages um, uh, trying to figure out what to say to the, um, 
uh, coworker, mm-hmm. and it, it's hilarious. And it's you know, um, uh, and you know, on the surface of it, you wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, think there was anything to, it, you know. Um, so yeah, I love I love being surprised. And another thing that you know, I, I love to have my pet peeves proven wrong. Oh yeah. I I hate but. second I hate second person stories. Mm. Like I have a real real problem with them. You know, like uh-huh. you're 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 walking down the street and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm reading your story. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm what I'm angry. doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my editors go out of their way to give me uh, second person stories just to prove me wrong. Oh, just and, to um, with it. Yeah. Have you read yeah. a book called Soul Mountain? It won the uh, Nobel Prize a few years back. Um, no, no I haven't. Who's that by? It was by a Chinese author. I'm actually completely mm. blanking on the name right now, but it's called. Mm-hmm. It's actually, um, it's a it's a book told. It's not a novel per se. It's each chapter is sort of a different um, piece of of this man's travels through China, but um, they're they're all told in different formats and, and some of them are in in second person but some of them mm-hmm. so you're you're constantly wondering you know wh- who who is this talking to me where where are we where, what's going on with this story but um yeah it's definitely interesting it was the first thing i had ever read in set that was consistently in second person so mm-hmm. it was jarring at first but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well i did i did one by uh jennifer egan that wound up in you know, best american stories so mm-hmm. i i've I frequently have to eat my words, but I will never publish a second-person story. Um, so when they're good, they're great. So I've heard um, people say, oh, it's the first five pages of a of a manuscript are the most important to grab someone's attention. But obviously, your submissions are, are shorter. You've got a 10,000-word limit. So for mm-hmm. you, it would be more like the first paragraph or even the very first line. Yes. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it, you know, it, especially for unknown writers. Um, but that said, you know, it, every one of um, every story that's submitted to us is read by three to five readers. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they they have multiple sets of eyeballs on them to give them a fair chance. Mm-hmm. Because you know, when you're reading a lar- large volume of submissions. It's easy to glaze over and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, you know, just familiar. And then, you know, it, it, you really need to give it multiple, multiple takes, mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure that things don't slip through the cracks. And are there any um, trends that you've noticed over the past few years with the submissions, either in topic or or format, things that people might in the future want to avoid so they're not redundant? <laughs> well, you know, um, there are things like you know, nine eleven. Uh, after 9-11, I saw a lot of ni- bad 9-11 stories uh, that were very on the surface that didn't really, uh, you know, integrated into the narrative. It was just mm-hmm. all, all all right on the surface. So like with any big event, it, it takes, I think, years to really, um, you know, uh, process things and make it you know, part of the fabric mm-hmm. um, of, of the narrative. Um, trends I see more versus subject is more general things like I, I'm excited about kind of hybrid culture stories, mm, which like I what? see, see um, like, you know, writers like 
Juno Diaz um, or Luis Urea, people who are who have uh, feet in multiple cultures mm. and the, the blending of the cultures and the, the sort of exciting energy that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of work I'm excited about and uh, not just hybrid American culture, but um, like hybrid, um, like French Senegal, mm. you know, hy- hybrid culture or Kenyan UK. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting kind of cultural crash clashes going on in, in world fiction that I think see. And I also see whoever is kind of interesting and hot um, among writers invariably gets imitators. Uh, so yeah. I see a, I see a lot of Kelly Link wannabes. Mm-hmm. That and Kelly Link is one of my favorite writers. Period. Uh-huh. But she is singular. You know, she <laughs> is she is really unique, and the imitations really look like imitations. You know, uh-huh. she has she has a very unique sense sensibility that it's hard to imitate. And so I see a lot of that, and I see a lot of Amy Bender like stories. Oh yeah. Yeah, or Wells Tower. I see a lot of kind of those kinds of stories that are mm-hmm. that just pale in comparison to the original. So, I, you know, those are the kinds of trends I think. Sometimes I see a kind of mood, um, uh, moods, like before the 2008 election, the year running up to it, mm-hmm. I got a lot of very dark stories because the country uh-huh. in general was in a really grim mood, especially uh-huh. creative people. Uh-huh. So my so my interns uh, started uh, saying to me, so how's the summer bummer issue coming? Because <laughs> I was buying so many depressing stories. <laughs> so um, I was desperately looking for anything funny. I see. You know, after a while. You know. So um, uh, well, your, your magazine is released quarterly, and the spring mm-hmm. and fall issues are always themed. Um, how do you come up with those themes and how closely do submissions need to fall into them? Do they need to be very literal or do you like more Mm -hmm. abstract? Yeah, I I like more, I I like to come up with themes that are more open-ended, that that allow for variation and surprise within the theme. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the themes come out of um, seeing one specific thing. Like the the work issue was inspired by a piece by Dorothy Allison about a scone a scone maker, scone and it was very maker. tactile. Yeah, a scone maker, someone who you know gets up at three thirty in the morning to make scones <laughs> in a bakery, huh. and it was very tactile and immediate. You know, she spent a week hanging out in a bakery at three thirty in the morning wow. to, to get all the details right, mm-hmm. and it just got me thinking about tactile work, how how people don't write as well about that as they used to. A lot, a lot of contemporary writing is more abstract and interior. So I wanted to throw out that challenge. And sometimes it's more topical. Like before the 2008 elections, I did a, a The Future of Politics, uh-huh. which, was, which is more, you know, timely based. Um, so, you know, there are and sometimes they're just like with a recent science issue. It was like I just wanted to see some of my favorite writers 
mm-hmm. you know, see what they would do with with the scenes. That's always fun. Put something out there and and get a bunch of people who you're already familiar with see what their their take yeah. on it is. Yeah. Yeah. So now, because you mentioned the the lack of more tactile writing now, do you feel like the internet has anything to do with that in more recent years? The fact that you can just go online without having to get up from your chair and just find out about whatever you need without having to go to places and actually talk right. to people and touch things and yeah, sort of yeah, thing. absolutely. It's so easy to do research yeah. now um, that that uh, you know experience is definitely you know, lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it all depends on the writer. You know, um, if you're Kafka, you can write about America without coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, the good writers really, you know, can, can, you know, can imagine it. But I, I think there's a lot to be said for actual physical research and, and getting the details right. Because I guess there, there's things that you wouldn't always think about seeing a photo or reading an article, things like how something, you know, what background noise sounds like or how something smells Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. how, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say is the most challenging thing about editing Tin House? Um, Yeah, it's kind of changed over the years. I think the the biggest challenge now is, you know, I've done over 50 issues, is trying to keep excited and fresh and constantly exploring new things and and that's the main reason I do this is to be surprised and uh, to remind myself of why I do this mm-hmm. so I love discovering new writers and uh, you know from from wherever so I'm constantly looking you know for for things out there um, and I I travel a fair amount looking for things Mm-hmm. You know, I you know the internet is great, but actually being you know, someplace very different and hearing different kinds of stories mm-hmm. is really exciting. So, you know, I've been to festivals in St. Petersburg, Russia, mm-hmm. Melbourne, Nairobi, uh, Santiago, Chile. Oh. Uh, I think of where else? And I'm going to go teach a workshop in Lagos, Nigeria in oh, August. Interesting. Um for for uh, kind of aspiring writers mm-hmm. in, in Lagos run run by Chima Adichie's foundation there. So I love doing that that kind of thing. That's fantastic. Now the the yeah. festivals that are in non English speaking countries, how do they write in English or how does that work? Um the one in Russia was um it was kind of it was bilingual. Okay. So um you know, there were both languages going on, there were translators. Um Chile I I it was co sponsored by the State Department, so I had a oh. a State Department translator because my Spanish is horrible. <laughs> um so yeah, it, it, you know, you have to work Worked through that. One in Nairobi, it was mainly in English, but there were there were people from sixteen different countries. Oh and, wow! And eight different languages. Oh gosh! <laughs> there was, but there were there were many. You know, mo- most everyone spoke English. Okay. So, uh, just a lot of the work had to be some of the work had to be translated. I see. 
Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I did. I never even think about international writing competitions. I think, oh, English in English-speaking countries, but not. Mm-hmm. I never thought about the wider, wider world in that sense. So now yeah. that kind of leads into my next question, because your your own writing has appeared in almost every major magazine I can think of. I mean, Rolling Stone, Details, Vanity Fair, the New York Times Book Review, on and on. Um, I mean, that seems like a pretty solid career. Why did you move <laughs> over to a new literary magazine? What are you getting from working at Tin House that you weren't? getting before doing your own writing? Um, that's a good question. Um, well, um, I kind of wanted to have it both. I mean, I continue to write, you know, for, for magazines, but I also wanted to um, kind of further my agenda, I guess, <laughs> you know, which is uh, promoting world voices and, you know, the best exciting younger writers who I thought were being... Uh, underpublished or not published at all. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the same reason that, that anybody starts a literary magazine, basically. It's like you think your your peers are not getting their due. You know, that's why, why George Plimpton started the Paris Review. His friends Peter Matheson and William Styron weren't getting published. So he was like, all right, I'm going to start my own damn magazine. Um, and Dave Eggers, who started McSweeney's at the same time that mm-hmm. I started Tin House. You know, it's... Um, that same same impetus mm-hmm. you know, to go out there. Well, that's great. And then you also, I guess, it's, there's the sense of you're sort of controlling what, not that it's a control issue, but you feel like you have more power over what you're being able to distribute and saying, look, here's a fantastic piece I mm-hmm. found, you know, rec- like widespread recommendations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I, I think of Tin House as a community. You know, I really hope that people who, who I bring in will feel taken care of and and will be part of a, a greater discussion. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so and I love championing you know, my favorite writers like Kelly Link and mm-hmm. Joanne Beard and Amy Bender and Joy Williams. You know people like that. I'm I, uh, you know it's it's I, I feel honored to be able to champion them. Fantastic. So talk talk a little bit about. Short the short format, short stories and articles versus full length books. What um what do you think writers can do with the short format and what, what readers can get from the short format that they can't get from the long format, besides the fact that they, they're quicker to finish? <laughs> yeah. Um well I think it's a it's a really really hard thing to craft a good short story because you have to be very condensed and focused. Mm-hmm. I get a ton of stuff that's really wonderful but it's very novelistic and mm-hmm. you know you you get the feeling that they're just kind of warming up that they have a lot more to say about the the characters i think you know short story is more much closer to poetry mm-hmm. than a novel that that you have to there's a lot more weight on the language and being e- economical you know even a third 30 page story you have to be really much more precise than in a 300-page work, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's not easy. You know, people yeah. who are really good good at it are, you know, you're like, oh, I could do that, and then you then you really try, and you're like, hmm, well, okay, that's a lot harder than <laughs> than like like how is Amy Hempel doing that? I don't, <laughs> I, I don't get this. Like, what is she doing? Because it seems like you really run the risk of being not informative enough, you know, just rather than than 
mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. using all of you know all of the those thirty pages to the nth degree and getting every last bit you can out of it. You just sort of leave mm-hmm. leave things hanging or leave things not developed or or you know it seems really easy to fall into that trap. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But if you look at you know someone like Jim Shepard is one of my favorite writers, and he um, he and like Robert Stone just squeeze so much out of out of the short form. That's mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible. That's great. And it seems like on on the on the flip side of that, there there is a lot that if it's done masterfully, there's a lot that that doesn't need to be said that can I, I say this because I personally love stories that not necessarily leave you hanging but have they, you know, I don't need necessarily have to have every little loose end tied up. If I'm left right. just wondering, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with that, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, then, yeah. So it seems like if, if a short story is well done, that that could be a really effective technique just to, to mm-hmm. leave yeah, people who Yeah, people who use white spaces, are, I, I have a lot of respect for because that's a daring thing to do. Like Antonia Nelson is kind of a master of ending scenes and even stories before the reaction shot. So oh. like you, you fill in the blank of what is going to happen. You know, you're just like just about to get to some pivotal moment, but you actually know what's going to happen anyway. And she cuts right to the next scene, and you're like, "Ooh, that was daring," <laughs> but yeah. it works. You know, it works. And, yeah. Or or David Foster Wallace, um, his first story collection, "Girl with Curious Hair." The title story ends with the line, "And this is what I did." And that's the last line. Oh, and gosh. and you realize that it's actually about the character, not exactly what he's about to do. But you can pretty much guess what he's going to do next. Right? Yeah, I love it because it's so interactive. It just leaves you thinking, like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, what are some characteristics of some of the specifically some of the best stories that sort of stick out in in your career working with with Tin House? The the characteristics of some of the best stories you can remember from the magazine. Hmm. Um, I'm, again, it comes down to surprise for me mm-hmm. of, of taking something that you thought you know and and subverting it. Um, actually, one of my favorite pieces that that we did was a nonfiction, creative nonfiction piece by Joanne Beard, um, which was about one of Jack Kevorkian's last patients. Mm-hmm. And Joanne interviewed everyone around this woman circle, her family, her friends, and recreated her last two years and then wrote it in the first person. Oh. From diagnosis of, of breast cancer to assisted suicide. Oh, wow. And and she called it creative nonfiction. So it was... You know, it was controversial even within the office. Mm-hmm. Can can you morally do call something nonfiction if you're writing it in the first person mm-hmm. about someone dead? But I, I love those kinds of pieces that kind of push the possibility and the boundaries of of what you think mm-hmm. could could work. You know, those are those are the ones that really stick with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did a, a another interview recently where um, they're saying, and anything that you you just get like a ho hum reaction about is not mm-hmm. something you really want to pursue. It's if it's like it, they're saying if the if the room is divided, that's a good yeah. story. Whether people love Absolutely. it or not, yeah. You know, we, in our edit meetings, we have 
you know, we have these long protracted edit meetings, and it's much more interesting when we're split. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's a complete divide, and then that we actually have something to argue about. Because a lot of the time, you know, our reaction is, yeah, you know, it's okay. It was well done. And especially with the rise of the sort of MFA programs, we see a lot more very competent work. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is wrong with it. Um, nothing to complain about. But there, there's no excitement. You know, mm-hmm. There's no real heartbeat. It's just perfectly well-crafted. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have something that gets a reaction like, oh, my God, that's not, you know, that's a disaster, To Oh, my God, that's you know, amazing. And um, something maybe that's not perfectly written but really evokes a strong reaction versus something that's yeah, very yeah. well, but, yeah, that's not. Yeah, that hasn't had all the edges mm-hmm. sanded off of it. Right. Okay, well, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to okay. do, um, we have a thing at the end we do here called Rapid Fire, which I'll just present mm. um, a series of either-or questions, and you just choose mm. which one you prefer. Okay? Wow. Okay, I'm I'm scared. I'm a little frightened. <laughs> I don't think they're too bad. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. New York or Portland? <laughs> Painful. Oh. Painful. Uh, Portland if I didn't have kids. Okay. That's fair. Uh, time of day, early morning or late night? Late night. Prefer writing your own stories or reading other people's submissions? Um, easier to read, um, but I like doing my own. Okay. Uh, taxi or subway? Subway. And short story or full-length book? Full-length book. Okay. Well, I hope that wasn't too bad. Pretty yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. Uh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. And you can find all the information you need about Tin House at tinhouse.com, including submission guidelines and details on their workshop. And you can also read recently published stories from the latest issue there, as well as purchasing back issues. And if you have any questions on the craft or business of writing, send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. And there's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening. 